Come on. Welcome to Money Savage, a savage approach to personal finance. This is George Grumbacher, and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, a strong and powerful Noah Rosenfarb. Noah, are you ready to do this? I am. Nice to be here. Excellent. Let's do this. Noah is a third-generation CPA, a tax avoidance expert, who teaches entrepreneurs how to create lasting freedom so that they avoid the pain of regret. He's also an entrepreneur himself, having sold eight companies. I'm excited to have you on. Noah, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. Sure. So I'm married with two young kids. I live in Parkland, Florida which used to be uh, a somewhat sleepy town that nobody had heard of until Valentine's Day this past year, unfortunately. Right. Um, but uh, I, I, uh, I guess what I do, like, like you mentioned, I mean, I work with entrepreneurs. What I find is so often they start a business because they wanted freedom, freedom for you know, financial freedom, freedom to do what they want during the day. And then what they end up with is being overwhelmed, uh, busier than they ever thought they were at their last job. And, um, you know, I, I try and help them figure that out so they can work less and live more and create financial freedom. That is all too common a problem. I remember reading the e-myth years and years and years ago about how people are excellent at what they do, working for somebody else, and then they think that they're going to start their own deal but don't realize everything that goes into it. So, well, that's a, that's, that's a big responsibility and a big task on your part. Um, how do you start with that? So usually it gets started by actually looking at people's taxes. You know, Tony Robbins says the, the best way to f- achieve financial freedom is to pay as little as possible in taxes. And so I follow that mantra. I pay as little in taxes myself. I have a particular company based in Puerto Rico that pays a 4% corporate tax rate. It's owned by my Roth IRA. So all my dividends go into my Roth IRA and they compound tax-free forever. And when I decide to take money out, I won't pay any taxes on that either. So what I do is I try and look at the entrepreneur's tax strategy. And unfortunately, most entrepreneurs don't have a tax strategy. So we have to create one from scratch. Uh, What I find is that a lot of entrepreneurs, they might meet with their accountant in the fall and, you know, give them their books at best and basically say, you know, what should I do? And the accountant is only looking at this year and next year. You know, let's take some of your income, push it into next year, take some of your expenses from next year, pull them into this year. And they do that time and again, and maybe they tell them to make a retirement plan contribution to reduce their current year's tax bill. And that's about it. That's tax planning that they do. But what we try and do is develop a tax strategy. So we look at what are your lifetime earnings going to be and your lifetime need for cash. And then we look at that and strategize, well, when do we think we should be paying the government taxes? Do we want to pay it now or later? You know, for a lot of clients that I work with, I encourage them to pay taxes now. Right now, we're at a 37% highest tax bracket. And historically, that average highest tax bracket's been around 57%. So, you know, the clients that I have that plan to be wealthy, we don't want them paying 57% later on. It's almost better to pay 37% now. So... It, what it sounds like is a lot of folks are just more reactive when it comes to, to, to tax planning or very sort of short-sighted looking a year back or a year forward and not necessarily proactive with actually doing legitimate planning. 
Exactly. You know, what I like to say, I'm, a, I'm an accountant, as you mentioned, I'm a CPA, grew up in the business, you know, my grandfather, my father, and actually my wife's father is also an accountant, uh, has his own tax firm. So, you know, accounting's all around me. And what I've learned acquiring other accountants' tax practices and uh, running an accounting firm for a decade is that we're experts at getting a really clear picture of the rearview mirror. And what <laughs> we're not experts at is looking out of the windshield. And so for, for entrepreneurs, it's great to have that detail-oriented, you know, accountant, bookkeeper, controller, CFO, who knows how to record everything properly, make sure all the numbers are in the right boxes. But you also need someone on your team that's helping you look forward and plan for your future. That makes sense. Is that a function of, and this is obviously just your opinion because we don't know what other people think, is that a function of being risk-averse or... Is it just so overwhelming understanding taxes looking backwards? Um, I think there's a lot of things that go into it. Part of it is the self-selecting process of who decides to major in accounting in college, right? And, and <laughs> accountants are only, CPAs are required to have accounting education. Nowadays, it's a five-year program. So, you know, people that are willing to make that commitment when they're, you know, 17, 18, 19 years old, 20 years old, they tend to be good at a certain type of technical skill and have, therefore, like a certain personality that goes with it. And when people break the mold, so I, I'd consider myself the kind of guy that broke the mold in accounting, uh, what we do is we end up leaving the profession. So accounting is a really incredible career. It's one of the easiest places to make a nice income. So if you're in accounting for 10 years or more, it's almost guaranteed you're making a nice six-figure income. The, the real challenge is the top 1% of accountants make still less than a million dollars a year. Wow. And when you compare that to entrepreneurs in other fields, the top 1%, you know, they're earning millions. And so people that are, you know, capable of achieving really high levels of success, they oftentimes leave the profession to make more money elsewhere. Got it. I think that that makes sense. Okay, and this is a really big question, but um, from the outside looking in, because I'm certainly not anything like an income tax expert, it seems like the Internal Revenue Code is so incredibly complex that it almost asks to I don't want to say being manipulated, but it, it, it almost says, hey, there's lots of different opportunities here to, to do planning. Is, is it intentionally complex or did we just end up this way over time? Um, I think most people don't understand that taxes are designed to motivate us to take certain behavior. So, you know, I, I grew up with these lessons around my kitchen table. Most people don't realize the reason we can deduct charitable contributions is because the government wants us to support people in need. And the reason that we're allowed to not pay tax on a retirement plan contribution that we make this year and, and wait, you know, 20, 30, 40 years and pay them later is because the government wants us to have a secure retirement. So there's a variety of things that the government would like us to do. And their best way to do it is to give us a, a tax benefit. And they think, you know, if we let you deduct mortgage interest and real estate taxes, then you're more likely to buy a home versus rent. And we want you to own a home as a, as a country, as a government. So the government is motivating us to take certain behaviors. 
And over time, the behaviors they want us to take change. So the tax code has to keep changing because they want to motivate us to, you know, wiggle a little left and then wiggle a little right. So they keep manipulating the tax law to influence our behavior. Got it. Okay. So when you are talking to a, um, a, a, a potential client and you say, hey, they say, you know, I've never really done a lot of proactive tax planning. And, and you say, well, there's a lot of different opportunities that are well within legal bounds that you're you're not taking advantage of that you really could be and it could be saving you an enormous amount of money. What do you, do you get pushback? Are they apprehensive because it's sort of a new concept? No, I think the apprehension generally comes from what's the trade-off. Again, the, the government's looking to manipulate our behavior and they're willing to give us a tax benefit for that. But the trade-off is what's the flip side of what they're asking us to do. So we could get a charitable contribution deduction, but then we have to give money to a charity. So, you know, some people don't want to do that. Hmm. They'd rather have uh, 40% or 60% of, you know, their money than give 100% to a charity. Um, some people would rather pay the tax and have their money accessible to them rather than not pay the tax and save it for their future. So it just depends on the trade-off of the behavior. Um, one of the things I find uh, that I run into a lot is that the government wants to incentivize us to create retirement plans for our employees also. And the, one of the ways they do that is they give them a match or you give them a profit sharing plan. And a lot of employers say, listen, you know, my employees are fine, but I don't want to give them any more money, even right. if I save money. Right. So, so it just, you know, you got to weigh the trade-off. Some things, the trade-off seems like a no-brainer. And, uh, you know, if you put your spouse as a partner in your partnership, and now they receive a, a distribution that's passive income and they don't have to pay, uh, you know, Medicare tax or, or uh, Medicaid tax on that distribution. They like that. That's a good one. Uh, you know, there doesn't seem to be much of a trade-off there, but some people might say, well, I'm thinking about getting divorced and, you know, I don't want to put the business in my spouse's name, even though it might not make a difference in the end. They just don't like the optics of it. Yeah, tough to do any kind of planning in a vacuum. So it does does depend on what they've got going on in other parts of their life. So, well, I'm I'm curious what we talked to, or I asked you a little bit about um, what people's reaction is. But not everybody's a candidate for 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 tax planning. So what what are the characteristics that people really have to have in order to be a good candidate for this? Um, so the first thing is about half of Americans. Uh, either pay no tax or receive money from the government. So not only do they not pay tax, but the government sends them a check. Right. So that's half of our population. Uh, so the other half are paying something out of their pocket. And if they're employed by an employer, and that's about all the income they have, there's very little planning that they could do to reduce their tax bill. Uh, my clientele, we kind of start with people that are paying around 50000 a year in taxes. And, and go up from there. Uh, what we find is once you're paying about 50 grand a year in taxes, there's usually something you forgot about that you could do hmm. and that you'll be motivated by. We have a progressive tax system in America, which means that the more money you make, each dollar gets taxed a little bit higher until you reach the highest tax bracket. So when you're in a lower tax bracket, let's say you're in a you know 22% tax bracket, you know, it's it, the, the motivation isn't as strong as when you're in a 37% tax bracket to try and make a move that the government's asking you to do. 
So we tend to work with people that are creeping up into those higher and obviously the highest tax bracket. Got it. Okay. And I saw on on your LinkedIn profile, potentially website, that there's that you published 23 overlooked strategies for entrepreneurs to create tax freedom. What are some some common ways that that that, that, that people often often miss? Um, you know, I think one that sometimes people have heard about, but maybe they haven't thought about how to apply them, is employing their children. So right now, the new tax code will allow you to employ your children if you pay them twelve thousand dollars or less each year. Your children won't pay payroll taxes at, or income taxes. So let's just say you're, you're a family with two children that are working age, that are capable of working in your company. You know, to be able to shift $24,000 of income to your, to your kids and away from you, if you're in a 40% tax bracket combined state, state and federal, you know, you're, you're saving a good chunk of money. It's about 10 grand. So, yeah, that, that could be an easy move for one person if they have work for their children to do. Um, you know, I've got a whole list of 23. If anybody wants to take a look at them, they just go onto my LinkedIn profile. It's available to download. While you're there, feel free to connect with me. Got it. All right. So obviously there's opportunities like contributing to retirement plans, this strategy of, of potentially employing your children. What are there some other areas? Uh, you know, owning income, producing real estate. So a lot of uh, business owners think about whether or not they should buy a building to put their own business inside their own building. There's a ton of tax benefits to doing that, but there's also a great tax benefit of just owning, you know, a rental property down the street or owning an apartment complex or a retail shopping comp complex. One of the interesting parts of real estate that the government incentivizes us with is this concept of depreciation. So when we buy a building, the government says, you know what, each year you can deduct an expense of a portion of what you paid for the building. And you might think, well, wait a minute, doesn't the building usually go up in value? And while the building usually goes up in value, the government says, yeah, you know what, we'll just take, take some off your tax bill. So if you buy a property and let's say you've got, uh, you know, $100,000 in rent and $30,000 in expenses, you collected 70 grand in cash. But you might have a depreciation expense of $50,000. And now all of a sudden you only have to pay tax on 20,000, even though you've got cash of 70. And that's one of the magical things about owning investment real estate. And that's why you see a lot of the wealthiest families in America, they own large real estate portfolios and they're entrepreneurs. Those are the two best uh, parts of the tax system to be engaged in. The business part of the tax system, because in business, we're able to take all of our income, deduct our expenses, and pay tax on what's left, what they call profit. When you're an individual taxpayer and you're an employee, you get your income, the government takes out tax, and what you're left with is what you're able to spend, as opposed to the business, which can spend whatever it makes and pay tax on what's left. Got it. You mentioned that you had um some kind of a something set up in in Puerto Rico. I think oftentimes when people hear, even though the Puerto Rico is a um, no, I'm I'm blanking on it. It's a what is Puerto Rico in in relation to the a United territory. States? It's 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 a territory. A, a territory. I still a feel like territory. A, got it. I still feel like people are, are are made nervous about 
even though it's not an off in traditional offshore, is that a pretty common thing for people to do? Um, so, so I, it's referred to now as onshore offshore because <laughs> okay. you're basically getting the tax benefits of offshoring, but you're using your U.S. passport. You know, you don't even need a passport to go to Puerto Rico. You could live there. My brother lives there. He's a full-time resident. You know, all you have to do is just pick up your bags and move there. There's, there's no, uh, you know, paperwork required. It's, you, you, you know, the same way if uh, I live in Florida, I moved here from New Jersey. All I did is I packed my bags and I came here and I became a Florida resident. The same is true with Puerto Rico. Uh, there's a couple thousand people so far that have taken advantage of these new Puerto Rican tax uh, laws. Act 20 and Act 22 are two of the most common tax laws down there. If you were to Google search them, you'd, you'd find out a lot more details. Act 20 is for companies that can operate out of Puerto Rico, and the government there will charge you a 4% corporate tax rate. And Act 22 is for individuals. And so if an individual moves there right now, a lot of cryptocurrency traders have moved there. They pay no capital gains tax on any of their capital gain transactions. Ah. So if you're uh, you know, a, a trader or you're a retiree living off of your investment portfolio, any capital gains that you earn while you're in Puerto Rico as a resident filed under Act 22, you'll pay no, no tax on. Certainly attractive. Got it. Well, Noah, Savage Nation is ready for your difference-making tip. What do you have for them? Whether you're employed or not, uh, you know, entrepreneur or not, you should definitely get your tax returns uh, a second look. Get a second opinion, at least once every three years. Our government lets us go back and say, we made a mistake. We got to correct our returns for three years in a row. So if we wanted right now, it's 2018, we could go back and open up 2015, 16, and 17 and refile them if we made an error. So if you made a mistake because either you prepared the return yourself or the preparer that you hired missed something and someone gives you a second opinion and finds that error, you could go back and amend your return and the government will send you a check. Now, let's say you didn't do that and you, you wait till next year and the person who looks finds a mistake that you also made in 2015, it's too late. You can't go back anymore. The government closed that file. So make sure to get it uh, a second opinion at least once every three years. I was just with an entrepreneur. He told me he had done this and he got a $40,000 check mailed to him within six weeks. And he was so excited. He said it was wow. the best, uh, you know, best idea we ever had. Well, that is great stuff. That definitely gets, come on. Come on. I love it. So Noah, where can people learn more about you? Uh, probably best place is LinkedIn. I, I'm, I'll accept your invitation if you send me one over there. If you could put a note that you heard me on the show, I'd, I'd appreciate it. And that, that way I'll know where you're coming from. Uh, I post all of my content there as well. So I have some videos, some articles, quarterly updates. Of course, the, what you mentioned, the 23 tax strategies for entrepreneurs, that's up there on my LinkedIn profile. So feel free to check me out there. Excellent. Well, Savage Nation, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show know your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. Find him on LinkedIn, connect with him, and let him know that uh, you heard him today on the show. Well, thank you again, Noah. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we are all in this together. What's up, Savage Nation? Please support the show by subscribing, leave us a review, and definitely feel free to share us with somebody you think would like it. Come on!